today on Ag News Daily. On a national basis, but uh, you know that that May eighth to May fifteenth time period is going to be critical. Welcome back, listeners. After a long weekend, it felt like to a Monday morning. Ag News Daily podcast. Today, Ag News Daily is brought to you by Magnetic Ag, all things agriculture newsletter. Delaney, this is Tanner Winterhoff alongside you. How was your weekend? It was good. Aside from the fact, Tanner, that we got probably, I'm going to guess, four inches of rain over the weekend. I dumped just shy of five and a quarter out. If you start Friday all the way through uh, Saturday evening storm. Yeah, really. That's actually a lot more. So friend of the podcast, Corey Hillebo, I was watching all of his Snapchats this weekend and they got a heck of a lot of rain as well. I think he said like four to five inches. They they were rumored in some pockets to have seven. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. Uh, at, at one time, seven in an hour and a half. And then that didn't include what came again Saturday night. So uh, certainly quite a bit of moisture here in central Iowa. Yes, quite a bit. And that means the planters are not going to be getting into the fields anytime soon. I mean, I tell you what, too, the other thing that kind of freaked us out this weekend, our sump pump was definitely working in overtime because we have a field right next to us in the tile. I'm not sure if it's not draining correctly, but the poor field next to us is just completely flooded. Our sump pump is obviously sucking in some of that moisture that's still in the ground. And to be honest, Tanner, I thought we were going to have a flooded basement this weekend, but we didn't, thankfully. That's good. Yes, that is very good. Uh, I don't wish that upon anybody. It always seems like you don't have a sump pump fail until you need it. Of course. Yes. Absolutely. Well, the first thing I've got is just a real quick one today, Delaney. Two more bird flu outbreaks were found on Pennsylvania egg farms. So now if we're keeping our tattle, our tally total in less than three months, uh, HPAI has killed more than 31 million birds, mostly turkeys and chickens in domestic flocks, and uh, pretty focused on the area between the Atlantic coast into the Rockies. Uh, so that's a big territory, but uh, these two identified farms were in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, combining for a total of an additional 2 million hens. Yes, I saw that piece of news as well. So we certainly are continuing to add up the death tolls. And I don't know for sure yet, Tanner, if Secretary Vilsack has been confirmed to speak. But next week, I'll be heading out to D.C. with the National Association of Farm Broadcasters. And we'll get in front of some key legislators. And I'm hoping that Vilsack is there because I guarantee you that farm broadcasters will be asking questions about what's going on with avian influenza. Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of topics that are top of mind out there that maybe we'll get some direct answers to, but this was certainly one of them. Another one is definitely going to have to be Prop 12, Tanner, because we saw a couple of legislators send a very aggressive letter to Secretary Vilsack asking them to, or asking him essentially to urge the Department of Agriculture to support California and other states that restrict sales of a product with the intent of protecting the health and safety of consumers within their states. This letter had secretaries, or excuse me, senators, Diane Fenstein, Alex Padilla, Cory Booker, and Debbie Stabenow, who is on the Agriculture Committee of All Things Tanner. But a group of 11 agricultural organizations 
supports USDA's effort to develop a modern regulatory structure related to gene editing in livestock and urges the department to move forward on a rulemaking process in dealing with some of these things. But it's quite interesting to see that of all people, we're seeing people sitting on the Agriculture Committee urging Vilsack to follow through on this Prop 12 legislation. Yeah, that uh, I'm all for a process that is streamlined and clear, that has expectations that we all can abide by, and that makes it very clear whether you want something established or not. These are the very easy, maybe not easy ever, but easy ways to understand if you're going to qualify or not. Yes, exactly. That's good. Here's a transition that we should have done first thing, talking about the weather, Delaney. It's uh, another quick hitter, but there are freeze warnings issued for much of Iowa and parts of Illinois here on Monday, the 25th. So uh, central Iowa sub-freezing temperatures are expected overnight into Tuesday, and the warning is going to take place from 1 a.m. to 8 a.m. Thankfully, we don't have a significant amount of our crops planted let alone germinated. Uh, But as grass greens up and some of our perennials are starting to bloom, this freeze warning could take away some of our springtime feeling. Well, you know, that's going on here in Illinois, but in the state of Kansas, I saw this tweet over the weekend and he didn't specify whether his parents live in Kansas as well, but Lucas, I'm going to say his last name is Hag. Um, This tweet is blown up, so I wouldn't be surprised if you've not seen it. But he tweeted out that he was heading to his folks' house 30 hours ago to try and help with the storms or the wildfires that are sweeping through. And he said last he heard there was a total of over 45,000 acres that had burned Tanner. And the photos he shared were definitely quite something. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate. I And I say this probably year in and year out around different things, but I don't remember there being this many fires of this size in the past. I know we always have springtime fires as our brown is turning to green, but uh, we've had some pretty big ones already this spring. And we also saw, I don't even know what you would call this, but for those of you that are on on uh, Twitter, Peter Ness, who's a farmer up in Sharon, North Dakota, I think we've had him on the podcast. It's been a little while now, but he shared a video of someone he didn't he said it wasn't his video but some massive flooding that took place in North Dakota and it's literally this large trench in the ground tanner of water that has swept through North Dakota creating a huge almost like a river stream in the middle of a field wow that uh was would that be from runoff from the melting of the snow from I that think, storm a couple I weeks ago I think that was yes I think that was largely what he was suggesting that it was from. Yeah. We, we had interviewed Shay Meyer on the farm for profit podcast uh, last week. And uh, he had shared with us that his California asparagus crop was completely ruined because of the snow that had fallen in that area. So it has been a very, a very crazy spring, none to say, but uh, it's just, everybody's getting different types of weather that we don't typically get in our regions this time of year. Yes, absolutely. Well, Delaney, uh, just a reminder to our listeners, are you looking for carefully curated and delightfully digestible ag news? Well, look no further. Magnetic Ag 
is a twice-weekly newsletter that curates from over 40 sources to bring you a five-minute email read, read on all things agriculture. Join over 10,000 farmers and agricultural professionals today. Sign up for free at magnetic-ag.com. That's another great source after you're listening here on the Ag News Daily Podcast to continue to stay up to date. But today, the 25th of April, BASF opened its new Center for Sustainable Agriculture in North Carolina. So they had their official ribbon-cutting ceremony today. The center will provide visitors information experiences covering a broad range of topics from technology and innovation that's driving agriculture's productivity and how healthy homes and communities are not much different than a farmer's field. So this is a, a task that BASF uh, is putting together to where both farmers and the general public have access to information to come in and learn. They state here over the next coming decades, our agricultural food system will continue to undergo an accelerated transformation to provide access to enough healthy food and affordable food for our growing population. At the same time, the industry will need to reduce its impact on the planet so future generations can flourish. And this center will provide all parties equal opportunities to understand how this process will benefit our planet. So that is coming straight from BAS, BASF today. Tanner, I forgot to share this piece of news. I think maybe it came out actually right after we released the podcast, but Indonesia on Friday banned palm oil exports starting April 28th. I was doing a little bit of digging today to understand what impact that may or may not have. And I'm sure we can get Jeff French's take on that coming up here in just a moment. But all in all, Indonesia accounts for about 28 to 29 million metric ex- tons of export palm oil a year, and they only use about 15 to 16 million metric tons domestically. So it does kind of seem like they are stockpiling here, trying to curb inflation and high food costs in their country. And of course, when, of course, when you think about Malaysian palm oil, a lot of it is used for obviously cooking oil and cooking um uses of sorts. So that news was met today. We saw a hard sell-off in the sweeping markets. Even surprisingly, Tanner, with this news today that China bought 534,000 metric tons of soybeans first thing this morning as reported by the USDA. Yeah, I can't wait to ask those questions here during our interview this afternoon because I had seen both of those articles and kind of did the equal equal amount of research to find out how much palm oil would affect the other food grade oils um, around the planet. So uh, yes, it'll be very good to get an expert's opinion on what that news means. It will. And I don't know for sure, Tanner, if these two things have anything to do with each other. I would assume to some extent they do, but I was reading an article or reading through some information this morning talking about not only, you know, impacts like this of countries buckling down and trying to keep food locked down as they're wanting to ensure that they can feed their people, but Russia and Ukraine, as we continue to watch that play out here, they account for 26 countries food use, like full-time food use. They provide it for 26 different countries. So I thought that was an interesting just little anecdote today too. Yeah, that helps put things into perspective. Well, the last piece of news that I have, uh, I dove into thinking it was breaking news and come to find out it's just an advancement upon a technology. So coming out of the United Kingdom, 
they are working on <clears throat> reducing the atmospheric carbon dioxide. So they are targeting a net zero uh, carbon dioxide atmospheric number. So they have come up with rock dust, which sounds like something scientific, Delaney, but it's not. That could absorb up to 45% of their carbon outputs. So, you know, we have lots of focus on carbon credits and how farmers may potentially be able to fit into that equation. Uh, but coming out of the university by Sheffield states that farmers in the UK can spread a rock dust on their farms that would potentially allow their soils to remove more carbon. This would be a low cost opportunity. Uh, for farmers to play with this as more than likely this rock dust is a byproduct of mining and uh, demolition and recycling that should make this product readily available. So Professor David Beerling, the director uh, from the Center for Climate Change and Mitigation at the University of Sheffield, is a senior author behind this study, but it links itself back to an article from July 9th of 2020. So like I said, this is new flair on technology that's been developed now for a couple of years. Uh, so our farmers in our area are used to spreading lime, Delaney, mm -hmm. to uh, adjust the pH in their soils. And it is, the way this is described is to use this rock dust, and I'm using air quotes with my fingers, uh, to be spread in about the same manner, but on every acre. And uh, this rock dust is a silicate rock that uh, is calcium rich. And it usually comes from byproducts of iron and steel manufacturing, as well as waste cement from construction and demolition. Also potential volcanic material. So uh, they have completed studies that states that this silicate helps withdraw more carbon out of the atmosphere. Therefore, storing more carbon in our soils which as a lot of us know, the science related to growing things uh, would also be beneficial for farmers. So they're starting off in the United Kingdom, which obviously is not a significant space or territory, Delaney, also not a very high uh, populated for the entire country uh, based upon carbon output. But the scientists are urging those in China and America to look at this as a mandate for farmers to do to help reduce the carbon footprint from dirtier nations, according to the article. You know, all I hear when you say rock dust is like something that came from the moon or outer space. <laughs> I was imagining like pixie dust. Oh, something that's glittery. And yes. uh, you would, you would see in the movie, Peter Pan, but no, uh, I was wrong. And it sounds like you are wrong also. <laughs> yes. Very, very wrong. Not even close to being guessing what that is correctly, but it's a catchy name nonetheless. Yes, and I, I just was trying to figure out why it had resurfaced recently, uh, besides the fact that it's being put to use since the study was done originally in 2020. But listeners, just a reminder, if you are looking for carefully curated and delightful, are you looking for carefully curated and delightfully digestible ag news? Well, look no further. Magnetic Ag is a twice-weekly newsletter that curates from over 40 sources. They bring it to you in a five-minute email read on all things agriculture. Join over 10,000 farmers and agricultural professionals today. Sign up for free at magnetic-ag.com. Well, that's all I've got for news today, Delaney. Yes, I do not have any 
Hi there, Tanner. Any left, I should say, aside from chatting markets for today. And we are getting ready to chat with Jeff French here coming up in just a moment. But in the meantime, let's look and see where commodities left us for today. And certainly was an ugly day today in the soybean pits as the May contract about to head into delivery here down 14 and a half cents to close at 1701 and a half. New crop soybeans down 12 and a half cents to close at 14.92 and three quarters. Gordon, today, the only grain that saw some strength with the May contract up five and a half cents to close at seven ninety eight and a half. The Dece up seven and a quarter to close at seven thirty one and three quarters. Wheat today. Oh, I lied, Tanner. We saw a little bit of mixed trade in the wheat complex with Chicago wheat lower, hard red KC wheat higher. Chicago wheat in the May contract shed two pennies to close at ten sixty three and a half. The July up a penny and three quarters to close at ten seventy three. Hopping over to take a look at the livestock markets today, we saw an ugly day across all protein markets today as a lot of them traded limit down, including not quite the June cattle contract today, which closed $3 lower at $1.35, the August down $3.05 to close at $137.32. May feeders today down $2.57.5 to close at $1.6130, the August down $2.40 to close at $174.50. And lean hogs certainly did trade the limit today as the June contract closed limit down to close at $114.02, the July down limit down as well. To close at 115.87 and a half. And lastly, wrapping things up here with the class three dairy milk futures. May today up nine cents to close at 24.64. The June up four cents to close at 24.82. Tanner, without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation with Jeff French. Well, folks, we are chatting today with Jeff French of Ag Hedgers. Jeff, certainly excited to have you back on the podcast today. There's never a dull moment, it seems like, for talking markets these days. No, not when you're going into the start of planting season and it's, uh, you know, 35, 40 degrees with with plenty of moisture uh, throughout the Midwest. So uh, volatility is here to stay, especially in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, no kidding. And we were just talking about some of the bad weather that we got here in central Iowa, but also, you know, up into the Dakotas, they're still getting snow at this point in the year, which is certainly disheartening to hear. But Jeff, as we look at this late planting season that we are inevitably going to have, at what point do you think the markets are going to say, okay, we've traded this news, we're going to move on and focus on something else? Well, I I think you look at a couple, you know, if you look at the last... Uh, 10 years, Delaney. I mean, I, I look at that Mother's Day, that May 8th time period, uh, kind of that first weekend of May. Uh, you know, I, I would like to see uh, national average right around 50%. So uh, that seems like a stretch right now. But, you know, you got to remember, we can get this thing in very quickly. I mean, the last week of April last year, uh, in Iowa alone, we planted 40% of the corn crop. So that's nearly 5 million acres of corn. So uh, if we can get the good conditions, you know, guys are ready to go. I mean, they're, they're getting antsy, but you know, right now you got to be patient because these, uh, these ground temperatures, um, they're just not suitable for planting. And, and the cost of this crop uh, is too high and too risky to risk it on anything. So uh, right now uh, patient pays and, uh, you know, the market, I, I think you're going to trade it here for a while. I, I think uh, 
the corn is going to continue to incentivize the producer to get this in the ground. But, you know, we still have very good prices. Historically, these are extremely high. So I, I look at that middle of May period, Delaney. I mean, I just, you know, we'll just have to see where we are planted uh, on a national basis. But, uh, you know, that, that May 8th to May 15th time period is going to be critical. You know, it's interesting, the producers that I get to talk to about uh, how many are concerned here in central Iowa about the damp, cool soil temps right now. And as things start to get fit in these small weather windows, because we have rain again in the five-day forecast, that uh, producers may start by putting soybeans in the ground first. Even though corn, like you said, the market is incentivizing producers to get it put out there, but they don't want to make a mistake. Could we see that type of a shift, soybeans being planted ahead of corn, cause more volatility in the market? Well, we certainly can. I mean, and, and I can't blame the producer. I mean, you have, uh, you know, $14.80, $14.90, $15 beans off the combine. Uh, that's awfully good. Uh, the one thing is if, if they did get the fertilizer down in the fall or, or got it applied here earlier this spring, I think you're going to see that corn uh, get in because seven dollar corn. There's still plenty of motivation there. There's plenty of uh, uh, incentive to get this in the ground. So, you know, I don't necessarily know that we're late as per se yet. Uh, obviously, you know, we want to go and we want to plant. Uh, in the last two years, we, we've been on a very aggressive planting pace. Uh, so this might be historically just kind of a normal planting pace. And then also, there's a, you know, there's the argument out there of well, planting early, does that really contribute to higher yields? And, and I know there's arguments on both sides, but you know, I would think you know, the summer weather is going to weigh on it heavily uh, more uh, here in June and July. But uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's just one of those times where you, know, you look outside, it's like Groundhog's Day. I mean, it just, it's cold and gray, and uh, it just doesn't seem like it's going to end here. And, and absolutely, the, the rain coming in this weekend, hopefully we can miss it. I mean, I know we like the rain, but uh, boy, here in central Iowa, we don't need any more. That's for sure. No, we certainly don't. But, you know, as you look at later this growing season, who knows? And we could certainly turn hot and dry come, you know, July, August, which by all accounts, it seems like we're supposed to be having a La Nina pattern at some point this year, although it seems a little confusing when we've had so much wet weather. But Jeff, looking at new crop and old crop corn right now, old crop is flirting hard to stay right around that $8 mark. Well, we still have a little bit of a discount in new crop. What's it going to take to see new crop push higher, push closer towards that $8 mark? Well, I mean, I think it's going to be awfully tough. I I mean, again, here the next two weeks, if if we're not you know, let's say we get uh, cold and wet again here after the first week of May. I mean, there's some forecasts that are pushing that right now, but, you know, we can change quickly as well. But uh, if this planting delay continues, uh, it could, you know, $8 corn is very rare. And uh, we had $8 old crop corn five days last week. Uh, the July contract was unable to uh, trade $8 here today. So it broke that streak. And there's only been 37 times in the history of the Chicago Board of Trade, 37 days uh, since since 1848, uh, that corn has traded over $8 a bushel on the Board of Trade. So it is very rare for us to be up at these prices. Uh, so I'm just encouraging all my producers to take advantage of it. And, and again, seasonally, I agree. It's not a time in April to be putting highs in the market. I totally agree. But at the same time, this is $7, $8 corn. This is awfully good. 
if you don't want to commit the bushels, get a put option in case this thing, this thing can change awfully quick. I mean, you can go out and buy 650 December puts for 25, 30 cents, locking in the downside here for the next six months. From that standpoint, for the cost of this crop to put it in, uh, I just think you got to be taking advantage of it. And if you don't want to sell the bushels, you know, just get the put option in case and lock that downside in. So Delaney and I reported on two articles here in the first part of our show. So this will be a two-part question around soybeans. Mm-hmm. Um, we had we had seen that, uh, I believe it was Indonesia, has mm-hmm. uh, banned exports on palm oil. And mm-hmm. then also that China had made a large purchase this morning right out of the gates. Yet we still mm-hmm. saw soybeans in the red today. What, uh, what's it going to take to get them to come back? Or is that just a position correction moment for us here on Monday? Well, yeah, so... The first part on Indonesia, they did, you know, they, they got they caught some heat. I mean, diplomatically, uh, the USDA was was not happy at all with them coming out and banning exports. So they did come out over the weekend and, and kind of clarify that. So what they did is they decided to ban exports on the refined product, so the finished edible oil product. They are still going to export the crude palm oil. So if you have the refining capability you can still buy palm oil from them. Uh, obviously, if you do not, if your country does not have the refining capability, uh, you're not going to be able to, and you're going to have to go on the world market to find those. So that took a little bit heat off. But, you know, you look at the clothes on the beans on Friday. I mean, it, it was it was pretty bad. I mean, it was an outside down day. Uh, and we had rallied this market a dollar seventy a bushel since the lows in March. So you got to remember, this, this is a futures market. Uh, it, it tends to overreact and build in the, the, the kind of worst case scenario um, pretty quickly. But I, I look at this weather and I, I think this weather is bearish beans because every day that we're not uh, planting corn is potentially adding more bean bushels uh, to the mix. And, and when we project that we're going to be planting 92 million acres of beans, Boy, I mean, if we just have a normal growing season, I know that's a big if. We don't know what the summer's going to bring, but 92 million acres of beans uh, at 50 bushels to the acre, uh, you know, $14, $15 beans, uh, in my opinion, are probably 2 to $3 a bushel too high. But again, we don't know what the summer's going to bring, but this is awfully good prices off the combine. So I just think it's, it's, it's weather play right now. And, uh, you know, as this cold, wet weather continues, the, the perception is it just could easily add more bean acres to the mix. Jeff, I also wanted to make sure we chatted about the protein markets today because all of them had a really ugly sell-off today with limit down moves in the lean hog markets. And right across the screen, what was going on there in, in the feeder cattle and live cattle complex, but also lean hogs? Yeah, it was a... Uh... You know, limit down in the hogs, number one. I, I think that the summer months had just got uh, too, too wide of a premium to cash market. Uh, and the cold storage report uh, really didn't give any bullish fodder here to the statement. So, yeah, heavy selling uh, technically made about a three-week low. You know, you look at this June, it, it's got to hold the 112 area or it looks for uh, lower prices. But, I, you know, longer term, I'm actually friendly to this hog market. Um, you know, product should be strong. Uh, you have a great export demand, and you have the three biggest uh, producers uh, throughout the world, uh, China, the European Union, as well as the U.S., and all three of us are not expanding. Uh, so that's been rare in history for all three of the biggest producers not to be expanding the herd. 
you look at the cattle though, yeah, pretty negative day. That was to do by the big miss on cattle on feed Friday afternoon. Uh, the placements was a big number. Uh, the trade was looking for 92% placements uh, during the month of March of 2022 compared to the month of March of 2021. And it actually came in above uh, 8% above that on 100%. So we have record numbers of cattle on feed here for April 1st. Uh, this, you know, I was looking for a really strong fourth quarter of 2022 on, on cattle numbers. Uh, but it, that placements, we just have some animals that we got to work through here. And, uh, uh, yeah, not a good way to start the week. And also you have the month end and you have funds that are long. Uh, they might continue to liquidate this position, uh, their long positions right into the end of the month here this Friday. So, Jeff, I think the common theme is volatility is here to stick around for a little while, at least in the grains, probably still also in the meats, uh, as we've had our conversation today. But if our listeners have a question for you or want to get in touch with you, how can they find you? Yeah, you can find us on the web at uh, www.aghedgers.com, or you can call us at the office here at 312-217-0122. Awesome. It's been a pleasure. It's uh, been yeah. great to meet you and for uh, the advice that you've been able to share with our listeners. Thank you for joining us. Absolutely, guys. Pleasure to be on. Well, again, a big thank you there to Jeff for coming on and chatting markets with us today, Tanner. appreciate that for sure. Yeah, I'm going to keep learning as these Market Mondays come out. So it's a, it's a, always a treat for me on a Monday afternoon. Yes, I like it that you get to now experience the markets and learn about them. And I'm sure that that helps you in your conversations you're having with uh, your banking clients. That's right. It does. But I think we've kept our listeners long enough today. What do you say? Should we let people go? Let's let them go.